I went backpacking in Banff National Park in British Columbia. Uh, I was living in Vancouver at the time. I was pastoring this group of college students, young adults at this church. And there was this one guy in the group, uh, let's call him Louie. He's uh, super outdoorsy. And he said to me, Charles, you want to come backpacking with me? And I said, yeah, sure, no problem. You know, I've went camping before. You know, you, you drive a car to a campsite, unload your tent, put up a tent, bathroom and shower facilities over there, right? Cook some food, do some s'mores, sleep in the tent. If it gets weather gets really bad, you sleep in the car. That's camping. And he said, no, Charles, <laughs> we're backpacking. We're climbing this mountain a day and a half up, a day and a half down. We're carrying everything in ourselves and we're carrying everything out. I said, sure, let's do it. So uh, we, we loaded up and we started going up and up this trail and things were going great until we started to hit ice. Now this is July, but we're hitting an altitude where a lot of the trails was covered with snow. In fact, there's ice everywhere. And the problem of course is my hiking boots were not designed to climb on ice. So I was slipping all over the place. Whereas, you know, Louis, he's, you know, he's prepared. He, he, put, he strapped on his crampons, right? So he's kind of jumping around on the, on the icy trail like Legolas, just kind of hopping around, right? <laughs> awesome, right? So, so we're having problems, right? Things were getting worse. It was just snow, it was ice covered everywhere, and I was slipping all over the place. So, so here's what Louis said. Louis said, okay, Charles, here's what I'm going to do, okay? I'm going to walk, and I'm going to scuff up the ice with my crampons. I'm just going to do that. And what you're going to do is you're going to put your foot right in my footsteps, just follow me all the way up. So I did that. We did that for months. <laughs> me following in his footsteps all the way up. Now here at Blackout Church, we often say that following Jesus is a journey. The problem is that when we think about this journey, we tend to conceive of it as some kind of a solo hike, me taking a little stroll, me and Jesus. And we think of the Bible as kind of a, kind of a guidebook, kind of a trail map that tells you, you know, what to look at, what to do, right? And, and the problem is that is not how the Bible sees it, right? The Bible sees our walk with Jesus less a solitary solo stroll and more like my climb with Louie up that icy trail in Banff National Park. And that's what we're going to talk about today. This is our ninth sermon in our 10-week series on uh, Paul's letter to the Church of Philippi. And um, man, this, this, this letter Paul wrote <laughs> to a church that he planted, he knows the people there and they know him, he loves them, they love him back. And Paul's writing this letter to encourage them to love each other more and to love God more. This whole letter is just, it's a love letter. And, um, and today we're going to look at chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. We're getting to the end of the letter. In fact, it's almost at the end. In fact, it kind of feels like the ending, but then Paul kind of added on a kind of a little addendum at the end. Fascinating addendum. So that's going to be next week. Pastor Chris is going to do it, so make sure you come for that. But today we're looking at verses 1 through 9 of chapter 4. If you have your Bible or smart device, go to chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, we start at chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers and sisters... You whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Now, we've been saying this throughout the series, that, that this letter exudes this intimacy and love between Paul and the Philippians, right? You see, we see it right here, right? You whom I long, love and long for. Paul says, I love you. I miss you. I want to be with you, right? And, and this reminds us that the intimate relationship within the church family is normal, is expected, and is something we work toward. 
But then he adds this phrase, my joy and crown. Now, joy, we've seen before. We've seen this one before. We, 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 right at the beginning of the letter, Paul says, I, I feel so happy and joyful when I remember you, when I pray for you. Okay, We've seen that before. But this one's new. Paul says, you're my crown. Now, what does that mean? Well, crown refers to your status, your honor. So Paul says, look, you Philippians, okay, you loving each other, you loving God, that's my honor. That's my identity. Do you see it? Paul says, I feel pride when I look at you guys. This church, the Philippian church, you are going deep in Christ. You're learning. You're walking together. You're growing into Christ-likeness. And there's this health in this part of the body of Christ. And Paul says, I had a hand in that. I'm, I'm, working, I'm partnering with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I planted the church. I taught. I encouraged. So, man, I see this. I'm going, yeah, my crown. You're my crown. I'm proud of you. You're my status. You're my identity. You're my honor. And it's from this posture, Paul now goes to a problem in the Philippian church. Okay? He's going to use this to launch into solving a particular problem. Verse 2. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Suntuke to be, one of, be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended on my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. And here we are again reminded, <laughs> what we always say here, that Bible is not written to us, but for us, right? I don't think there's anybody here at Blackout Church named Yodia and Suntuke, and they're having problems. No, Paul is writing to this particular church in the first century. He's talking to two women, and they're having some relational difficulties. And Paul asks this person, he calls them my true companion. We don't know his, their, their name. And he says, hey, can you please mediate between these two? Okay. So not written to us, but we can learn some things from this. So a couple of observations. Observation number one. This church has women leaders. Yeah. Remember Acts chapter 16. Um, when Paul founded the church, he planted the church in Lydia's household. Lydia's businesswoman. It was, the church was in her household. Okay? This, that's the church, the Philippian church. And now what we see is clear evidence, one of the earliest evidence, that there are women leaders in this church. Okay? Now, is that a big deal? Yes. First century Roman Empire, very patriarchal. Men were the educated ones. They ran things, okay? And here we have a church that's being countercultural, that's elevating women into leadership. The second thing to notice is that there's a little bit of an issue going on here. I mean, right? This feels a little weird for Paul to be saying this in front of the whole church. I mean, just remember this, right? Paul's emissary, he brings the letter, and he's reading it to the whole church. And he's saying, hey, Yuria, Suntuke, fix this putting some public pressure, community pressure on them. It feels like he's calling them out. It feels like there's elements of public shaming, right? So here's what we need to realize. On the one hand, Paul is going to go at the problem. He is going to try to use public pressure to solve a problem. But on the other hand, and Paul's so good at this, look what he does. He honors the women, right? 
They have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers whose names are in the book of life. What is Paul doing here? Paul's saying, hey, these women, they're my people. They've been with me from the beginning, okay? They have been working with me. They're my coworkers. They're like Clement and all the other coworkers. These are women you respect. These are women you honor. And look, I know they're having problems right now. That does not change how you see them. See, this is something we can learn when we address issues in the church, right? Paul, Paul basically, Paul is going to go at the problem. He goes at the problem very directly. And he's going to use the community to put some pressure on these women. But what he says to the women is, I'm going to protect your reputation. I will not let the church see you differently. And that is something we can learn. And now we get to the second half of this passage, starting verse 4. And we now hit kind of Paul's greatest hits. Okay, so uh, you guys are very familiar with these verses. Okay, verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true and whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, and whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Now, when we look at all these verses together, this, this, all these verses, I think one of the things that, 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 that you notice is that these verses don't seem that connected. Right? There's no logical flow that goes from rejoice to gentleness to anxiety to, to whatever is true, whatever, whatever is noble. They don't seem very connected. But, but biblical scholars call this staccato exhortation. It's like at the end of the letter, Paul's like just rapid fire advice giving. Okay? And because of that, because of the nature of these things being disconnected, these verses are very quotable. We like quoting these verses out of context. We pull them up, we put them on mugs, we put them on t-shirts, we put them on, on, on pillowcases, put them on a poster, put them on your screen, you know, iPhone screen lock, right? We do that. And, and they're great. We, we love these verses. Um, in fact, I want to do a little survey right now, okay? Just kind of crowd reaction. So all sides all venues, okay, do this, okay? Based on your, your you know, noise level, cheering level, what is your favorite verse, okay? You guys ready for this? Okay, crowd, crowd interaction, okay, ready? Okay, first one. Rejoice in the Lord always. Okay. Uh, okay, we got, we, we got some rejoice. All right, okay, okay. Uh, next one. Uh, let your gentleness be evident to all. Ooh. Whoa. Yeah, not into gentleness. Rejoice, yeah. Gentleness, no, not so much. Uh, not into that gentleness. Oh, no, thank you. All right, next one. Do not be anxious about anything. Very popular. Okay. So anxiousness is now, is now leading, the, leading the charge. We have a lot of anxious people in the congregation. Okay. And last one. Whatever's true, whatever's noble, so and so forth. Okay. So I think anxiety is number one. Jo rejoice in what is noble, what is, and, and that's number two. And then gentleness is like a flat number four there. Just kind of, whoa, okay. We love these verses. Okay, we love these verses. Which is why uh, I feel kind of bad with what I'm about to say next. <laughs> you see, when I was growing up, I hated these verses. 
just hated them. Oh my gosh. Because they were a constant reminder of just how messed up I was. I mean, look, right? Rejoice in the Lord always. Paul, seriously, are you some kind of happiness police? Rejoice always? Look, you're in prison, you're rejoicing. Good for you. But you never went through puberty in high school in Southern California in the 80s. All right? Think breakfast club, all right? No, life's hard enough without you going to church and then people are like, why are you looking so glum, Charles? Remember, rejoice always. Thanks, Paul. Really appreciate that. Those of you who are anxious, suffer anxiety. Let me ask you this. Does it help you when somebody comes along and says, hey, don't be anxious, just pray more? The peace of God will guard your hearts and mind. Does that help you? Does that make you less anxious? You see, here's the problem. These verses are great if you already know how to do them. They're fantastic reminders. But if you don't, they make you feel guilty and just remind you how messed up you are. And sometimes you just want to give up on this whole following Jesus thing. All right, listen up. This is the key concept, okay? Here's the key concept. These verses are problematic because we don't understand what they are, okay? We have a fundamental misunderstanding of what these verses are about. We think of them as advice, words of wisdom, life lessons, mottos to live by. And that's not what they are. And to figure out what they are, we have to read them in context. Okay, so what is the context? Well, on the macro level, these verses show up in a letter between Paul and a church in Philippi in the first century. Right off the bat, that should tell you something, right? That they're not meant to be put into a collection of sayings, you know, like chicken soup for the soul. That's not what they are, right? No, no, no. They are written, they're specifically written between one person and a particular church. It's within the context of the relationship that these things are communicated. So what kind of relationship do they have? Well, we know from the previous sermons that this is a relationship of partnership. They're working together on the gospel. This is a relationship of love and intimacy. But there is something more, something explicit that we need to get into. So this whole second half of the letter, starting in chapter 3, Paul started to talk about his desire to become like Jesus, his Christ. He says, I'm pressing forward. I'm reaching out. I'm going after this way of life. And then he says in verse 15, in chapter 3, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. He says, those of you who are mature, you should think the way I do. Right? I want to be Christ-like. You're mature. You want to be Christ-like. And you're going to press on forward. You're going to press forward to do this. Right? That's what he's saying here. And then he makes this relationship explicit in verse 17. Join together. In following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. What is Paul saying? Philippians, okay? This is the relationship we have, okay? Philippians, join together to do what? Copy me. Emulate me. I am your example. I am your model. Oh, by the way, there are also other people in your community who live the way I do. Follow them. 
That's their relationship. After this verse, we have four verses where Paul talks about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. That was last week. Pastor Matt did a fantastic sermon. If you missed it, go catch it. And right after that, we hit our passage for today, chapter four, verses one through nine, the ending of the whole section, right? And we continue this theme and we focus on the verse that we tend to overlook, okay? And that's verse nine. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Paul's saying, look, I've taught you things. I've shown you things, okay? Do them. Do what I say and do what I do. That's the final verse of this whole section. We need to read all these verses before in context. And when we do that, these verses, the nature of these verses changes. They're no longer a collection of advice or motto or life verses or great encouragement. No, 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 no. They are things spoken specifically between somebody who is an example, who is a model to a community of Christ followers. They they, they emulate him. He is their spiritual mentor. Which means these verses, okay, they're not written for you to go and just do them. Okay? No, no, no. They are written to be something, to be, to be something you learn how to do within a context of a relationship where you're following somebody who, who's, who knows how to do this. And you're kind of following them and you're learning from them. So grabbing the verse, hey, you know, don't be anxious about anything and put it on a poster, put it on your phone and looking at it, if you already know how to do that, you can do it. <laughs> Otherwise, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's not meant to function that way. No, 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 no. This is designed to be within a context of a relationship. You're in community. You have people who are your models. You get to know them and you follow them and you emulate them. Now, some of us are having a little problem with this entire concept, okay? It feels a little uncomfortable for us, right? Because, like, you know, Paul writes things like, I'm your model, you know, I'm your example, or, you know, do what, do what, I, what you see in me. We, we, we look at these verses and we go, ah, Paul, should you really be writing things like this? Doesn't it feel like spiritual pride? Maybe, maybe you know, how about a little humility, Paul? Right. I mean, imagine if Pastor Matt came up here and he's up there and going, hey, I'm your example. I'm, I'm your model. Live the way I live. And we'll be like, whoa, Matt, what's going on here? <laughs> but first of all, that's not who Matt is. And second, there is something about our church culture, maybe Midwestern culture, that's uncomfortable with people putting themselves forward like this. We think of them as not being very humble. Now, if you remember a few weeks back, we talked about humility here. And one of the key concepts is that in our culture, humility has to do with how we view ourselves and really how we manage other people viewing us, right? right? I need to either, either I don't see myself very highly or I want to make sure that people don't think I think myself very highly, right? Because otherwise then I'm prideful. See, pride, think yourself highly is being prideful. So I don't want that, right? So I put myself down. And that's why we have beautiful people saying they're plain or smart people saying they don't know very much, right? 
In our culture, pride and humility is about managing perception, how you view yourself and how other people view you. That's our culture. The biblical understanding of humility operates on an entirely different realm. This is how Paul defines humility, if you remember from chapter 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Humility is, I think about your interests, and I don't worry about my own. Notice, nothing in there about how you view yourself. Nothing in there about perception, how other people view you. A humble person doesn't care how they're seen. Okay? What they care about, what they're committed to, is what's good for you, and they will act on it. And that's why when, when Paul raises up an example of, of a humble person, he raises up Jesus. Jesus is a humble person because he is absolutely committed to doing what's good for us. We know that. So Jesus, as a humble person, says to every one of us, come follow me. Use me as an example. Do what I do. Do what I say. Why? Because that is absolutely what is good for us. When Louis, on that icy trail in Banff, said to me, hey, you know, just step in my footsteps. Okay? Step in my footsteps. Many thoughts crossed my mind, one of them being, I don't even like heights. What am I doing here? <laughs> one of the thoughts that did not cross my mind, one of the things that I did not think at all was, gee, Louis, you want me to just walk in your footsteps? That seems a little prideful, isn't it? I mean, come on, who do you think you are, really? I mean, come on, have a little humility here. No, I absolutely did not think that, because that'd be ridiculous. Right? No, I followed in his footsteps. I did everything he told me because I was absolutely convinced that Louis had my best interests at heart. Now, look, the idea that we need to emulate and copy others in our journey with God, that really should not come as a surprise because that's who we are. Right? We are human beings. We, we learn by copying. Kids growing up, they copy their parents, they copy their siblings, they copy their friends, they copy whatever's on their phone, right? And even as adults, we go to work, what do we do? We watch and we learn. If I want to fix my car, I go on YouTube. Somebody's going to show it to me. This is what we do. And yet somehow we have this weird idea that when it comes to the journey with God, that's supposed to be just me or just me and Jesus, Now, a lot of good things can happen with just me and Jesus. Don't get me wrong. But we have to remember, we have to remember, God's people, we are the body of Christ. Church, right? This church, we physically manifest Jesus. We're the physical body of Jesus. And along our journey on the way, at some point, we're going to need the physical body of Jesus next to us. Otherwise, we're not going to make it. Walking up that trail, we hit this ledge about this high, all slippery, ice. And so, so Louis, he, you know, he, he grabs an ice pick and he's like crafting a little foothold there, icy foothold. And he, you know, he, what he does, he just kind of, and just kind of hops, 
right on top of the ledge. It's like Legolas, okay. So, and he turns around, he looks at me, and he says, Charles, uh, you're going to put your left foot on that icy foothold, and I'm going to pull you up, okay? But here's, here's the thing. You're scared, and you're going to be very tempted to lean into the mountain. Don't do that. If you do that, you'll slip off, and you'll fall down, and you'll pull me with you. Instead, remember what I did? You saw what I just did, right? I leaned a little bit away. Do what I just did, and I'll pull you right up. <laughs> so I, I put my foot <laughs> on the foothold, and I'm reaching out, and I'm, I'm fighting every instinct in my body. Okay, I'm like, oh my God, what am I doing? I know this guy. I trust him, right? I, I, he, I just saw him do it. Okay, I need to lean away. Spoiler alert, I made it, okay? Uh, <laughs> but, but what I want you to focus on is what Louis said to me at that moment. Okay? What I, I want you to imagine I'm here, and instead of Louis saying that to me from that position on top of the ledge, I had Louis written down his instructions for how to get over a ledge, right? Create a, create a foothold with your ice pick. Put your, put your foot on it, and when you hop up, Make sure to lean slightly away, maybe 20 to 25 degrees, away from the hill to maintain traction. Do you think I could have done it? Not a chance. Not a chance. I didn't just need Louis' instructions. I needed to see him do it visually, and I needed that hand to pull me up. The letter to the Philippians is not a trail map. It is not a guide for the journey of faith. It is a recording of what a trail guide says to a group of people who are following him right in his footsteps. And if we can't take this letter and just go and try to do it, no, 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 no. Not meant to be that at all, okay? You can't just put on a mug or put on a t-shirt and just go, okay, I'm going to go do that. No. You need to be part of a community. You need to get to know people who can be your guides. And you need to copy them. My question for you. Do you have models in your life? Actually, better question. Who are the models in your life? Because, look, we all have models. Subconsciously or subconsciously, we are emulating people. We are copying people, right? We're like the way they talk, the way they dress, the way they walk, the way they work, the way they take care of their kids, the way they organize their house, right? We have people that we're emulating, we're copying. That's who they are, who we are. I mean, there's an entire industry called influencers in our culture because that's exactly who we are. So if you don't know who your models are, it'd be good to think about, right? This would be a good week. Think about the people that you're emulating in your life. Who are they? And uh, that'd be a good thing to share at your community group. Second question. Do you have models in your, in your, in your spiritual journey? Some people are going yes, and some people are going no, but... How do I find them? Good question. 
How do you find them? Let, let me share a little bit about my, my story of, of my earliest uh, spiritual models, and, and maybe that'll help us a little bit, share some light on how we find models. Um, I walked away from the church my freshman year, and I came back in the middle of my sophomore year in college. I joined a campus fellowship, and I got to know some Christian guys. And, and, and one group of guys asked me to live with them in an apartment. And when I started living with them, I noticed something very different about them. For me, going to church was a thing I did. For them, following Jesus was who they were. Okay? Faith wasn't a side thing for them. It was their main thing, which means I was now, without choosing it, part of a community where faith shaped how we saw life. I mean, we talked about our faith in Jesus. We talked about, we argued about the Bible, but more than that, we talked about how faith influenced our schoolwork how we saw work, how we saw our parents, our relationship with girls. I mean, we, 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 faith was influencing everything. And I learned so much in those two years living with these group of guys who were just a little bit ahead of me on the journey. So just a couple lessons. First thing, you need to be part of a Christian community of Christ followers. That seems really obvious. But the letter to the Philippians is a letter that's laser-focused on spiritual transformation. It's focused on how to become Christ-like. But what we tend to forget is that, man, this letter assumes the reality of a loving relationship between Paul and the Philippians. A community of love. The letter assumes community. You can't do this letter without the community. So, I mean, let's start with something basic. Come to church. Come to church and stick around and hang out and talk to people and meet people. Now, for the introverts out there, you're freaking out. Uh, maybe not. Community groups. Blackhawk Bible study. Sign up for Blackhawk courses. Serve in some a ministry of some sort. Okay? Get to places where there are other Christ followers. Get to know them. Join community some way, somehow. That's how this thing works. Number two, when you get to a Christian community, when you're now part of a Christian community, Paul said, look for people who are doing what we're doing, right? They're living the way we, we live. So when you're in a, in a church and community, you're going to see all kinds of different people for there for all kinds of different reasons. And what you're looking for are people who take following Jesus seriously. Now here, let me clarify some things, okay? Those guys in my apartment, they're just college students. They're not Yodas, they're not gurus, they're not pastors. They don't have their life together. No, you don't want those type of people anyway. No, here's what you're looking for. Okay, you're looking for two things. One, you're looking for people who take following Jesus seriously. And how, how can you tell? Easy. They intentionally invest time and energy and resources in their own spiritual transformation. They prioritize it. And number two, they know something you don't. You see it in their life. There's something that you want to go, I want to, I want to learn that. I want to emulate that. So what do you do? You, 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 you go and get to know them. You hang out with them. And you see what they do. You really don't want somebody who's too far down the road. I mean, when we read Philippians, you read about Paul. We're like, oh, that's really awesome, Paul. You're amazing. Very inspirational to get a glimpse of what's really like further down the road. But doesn't do much for the here and now. 
And we need models who are right in front of us, who we can like walk in their steps. After those two, two years living with those guys, I started leading a Bible study with a group of students in my church. I started to invest in them, in their lives. So lesson number three, be an example to others. Be an example to others. Look, I was just a college student, fifth year senior. I, I didn't have a degree in theology. I have a degree in Old Testament. Okay, you don't have to be Yodas or gurus. No, 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 no. You just need two things. One, do you take following Jesus seriously? Are you going to invest time and energy and resources into pursuing this, this way of life? And number two, are you actually growing? Are you actually learning something? If you have those two things, then there are people in the community who can learn from you. There are people in the community who want to learn from you. In fact, that's how a healthy church is supposed to look like. Every single people, every single person in this church, we're all following somebody's example and we're serving as examples to others. That's how this church is supposed to work. So two questions for us today. Who are the models in your life? Do you know them? Okay, figure that out. Think about that. And uh, do you have models in your spiritual journey? If you don't, do you know how to find them? Let me pray for us. Father, We want to know you better. Or at least <laughs> give us the heart and the spirit to, to, to pursue, to know who you are better, to be able to, to live like you. And, and, and what we're learning is, yeah, to do that, we actually need people in our lives who can help us. And so, Father, help us do that. Help us be intentional in seeking out and finding people who can be our models and help us to risk stepping out and serve as models for others. Help us think like that and not worry about perception, not worry about pride and humility and those kind of things that the culture throws at us, but seeking what is good for those around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.